Innovation happens in the blink of an eye. And to understand the implications, you need a credible source that helps to make sense of it all. Stay up to date on the most pressing innovation issues shaping the world today by subscribing to Better Innovation, a podcast featuring top management strategists, policymakers, and leading innovation thought leaders from across the globe. Going into its sixth season, Better Innovation, hosted by Jeff Saviano, a global innovation leader with EY, delves into how innovative technologies like blockchain, artificial intelligence, digital currencies, and the promise of Web 3.0 are transforming the global landscape. Featuring elite guests like Jeremy Allaire, CEO of Circle Financial, authors Whitney Johnson and Rita McGrath, former U.S. Cabinet member Andrew Card, and a number of leading MIT scientists. Subscribe today and hear more from these distinguished guests. Subscribe to Better Innovation on your favorite podcast platform. G'day everyone, Lauren Crest, the business scientist here. Hope you're having a great week. Welcome to all our new listeners. I know there's a bunch of you that are here because you saw me speak at Spark Festival on Monday with Steve Grace. I got a message from quite a few of you saying uh, you loved the session and that you wanted to check out my show and you might also be joining the live stream on Friday as well. So that's awesome. If this is the first episode you're listening to, great, because I think this is a, a really good one to be sharing. It's kind of funny actually, because I noticed in me, I'm going to be like super vulnerable now, guys, by the way, just, just vulnerability warning. <laughs> Like I need a special warning signal. So I am sort of on this high still from like just the podcast getting a lot of traction, right? Over the last even it's less than less than a week that it's really kind of picked up uh in a in a massive way. And what I noticed within me as I realized this was that I became a lot more self-conscious of the content I'm putting out there. And I kind of have been listening back to things and I'm like, oh, like what would this be like for someone new who hasn't been on the podcast journey with me? Because I think the thing is, is like there's people who've listened to like a, like they've been listening throughout the series. And then now I'm like, oh, there's people who are just listening to like the last three or four episodes and like, are they good enough episodes for them to like stick around and keep going? So it's really interesting process doing this because I, I mean, this is why I like the live streaming aspect because when I'm doing this, I'm kind of relying on what we're talking about today. Actually, I'm relying on my intuition. I'm relying on all the conversations that I've had with other entrepreneurs and business owners. And it's kind of how I felt when I did this online event with Steve at Spark Festival on Monday as well. I was like, I can't see who's listening and I can't, you know, get that feedback and we got like one question during the session and I was like, you know, like I have no idea how many people are watching this. And um, anyway, so we kind of did the session and it's, it's literally just like doing a Zoom call, right? Like you can't see anyone. And I was like, oh, this one question came through and I was super grateful for that. And uh, and then I, we kind of answered that question and I was like, guys, if there's any more questions, let us know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and then we jump off the the event and one of the producers comes on the line and goes, that was great, guys. Well done. Uh, there was 301 people watching that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that's like, you know, if I was in front of 301 people in a room, 
I'd be like, that's a that's a very different thing, right? Um, but it's so interesting to kind of be like, I don't know. I don't know what's out there. So I've been really self-conscious. I've been really self-conscious. And I really appreciate that. Actually, a few people have also been sending me messages going, just discovered your show and love it. And I'm like, oh, wow, like I really need that recognition. Like I'm still at that point. You know, I didn't think I was, but I am. I'm still at that point where I, I kind of – dip in and out of it anyway like I think the thing is and you know I'm big on this is like to succeed you have to fail right like we know this if we're in business if we've been in business or even like pre-business thinking about being in business you kind of know that like you're taking risks and you're gonna have to fail and you're gonna have to experiment but even though I know that I'm like oh part of me is just like so self-conscious about content and then you know it's funny because I have this other thing that on my YouTube channel right like I purposely and you guys can go look this up I purposely left the first video that I ever like filmed with me on camera on YouTube right so the first video I put up there is actually like really really popular but it's not me on camera it's like this whiteboard video I did on the drama triangle And then the next video I put up, I was like, maybe it was even the third. I think it was video three was the one I was like, right, I'm going to get on camera. And I called the the series kind of like words and wine because I wanted to be able to drink wine while I was on camera because I was super nervous about it. And like I wasn't even – I wasn't even streaming. I was just kind of like doing it on on camera. And if you look at that versus the content I put out now on my like YouTube channel and the videos I put out and the way I present, it's like so different. And I got a lot better at it. Not saying I'm perfect, but like I got a lot better at it. And I was like, I'm going to keep this on there. I'm going to keep the stuff that I did right at the beginning where I can see all the mistakes in how I presented because like this is something I can show to people who are starting off the journey and being like, looking at me now and thinking oh that's like I should be able I should be there I'm like no 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 you can't skip act two that's <laughs> something Brene Brown says so like you got act one which is your current situation and act three is like where you want to get to but act two is where all the work gets done and act two is not a montage right it's actually work so I've like purposely left that stuff on there but I just wanted to kind of share that because um I don't know. It kind of feels like I connect with you guys a little bit more when I'm like, yeah, this is what goes on in my head. So anyway, bit of a long intro, but I am super, super excited about sharing this episode with you. It's pretty different. It's pretty out there. It's longer. Uh, I speak with my friend, Brian Fretwell, who I've mentioned on the show before. Brian does some really, really cool work. He has this amazing TED Talk that has like 2.3 million or probably even more now views on it, which is like really great. I mean, like if you're into the whole vulnerability thing, like a bit of a spoiler alert, like Brian cries in the video and I was just like, wow, I don't think I've ever seen like someone on a TED Talk cry. Um, But it is is like a really, really moving – video it's awesome so we kind of we kind of get pretty raw in this um in this chat and we're talking about like neuroscience right so we're talking about neuroscience but like intuition we're talking about why is intuition actually something that's super important and and how does the brain work and how can we start to understand ourselves and understand 
what really lights us up. You know, I, I said like connecting to your spark in the title, like, and that that's taking the phrase from Brian. How do you connect back in with what lights up your life, right? How do you do that? I think this really follows on nicely from kind of the theme we've been exploring over the last couple of weeks around like that importance of actually doing something that you care about. So if you're on my mailing list, you would have uh, gotten an email from me yesterday. And my email was about sort of asking you a question, a question that I've been thinking about a lot like lately, which is how do you know whether you should quit while you're ahead or, or kind of stick at something? Right. And like I kind of was thinking about it because of what's been happening with this show and it kind of getting some momentum. And then I was also thinking about it in relation to our Monday motivation episodes where we're talking about consistency. And I was like, so really what it's about is it's about whether or not you enjoy the process. Like the quit while you're ahead thing is like if you're doing something that you're like, I actually don't even want to do this, then yeah, quit while you're ahead. And this was something that I've been thinking about for my business. Like I kind of built this business. I like built it to six figures really quickly. And then I was like, like, like I mean in three months. Right. And then I was like, I didn't even know if this is what I want to do with my life. Like, why am I, why am I doing this? This doesn't, this doesn't light me up. So I think what we're talking about today is actually like so important to get right before you start really growing your brand because the thing is, is as you grow your brand, people start to identify what you're doing with you and then it's it can be hard to shift. I mean, mind you, like I feel like I have done that. I'm not saying like, oh no, like that's it. You can't, you can't change. Of course you can. But if you start building your brand from that place where you have that spark, it's going to be like so much more powerful, so, so much more powerful than if you're coming from a place where you're not genuinely passionate about it. I I believe there's entrepreneurs out there who say like, I mean, like successful entrepreneurs, like who, or serial entrepreneurs that say like, oh, you should be not emotionally involved in your business. And I kind of feel like, yeah, you can do that, but then you've got to look at what, what actually is lighting your life up. For me, I like those two things working together. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there. But if you want a lifestyle business, if you're kind of like, I don't need to make millions of dollars, I don't want to be the next unicorn company and make billions of dollars, then connecting in with what you actually do and caring about and coming from there, it's going to be a lot easier to enjoy that process. And that answer to that question, should I keep going or should I quit while I'm ahead, is going to be a lot easier for you to answer. Right, because you're going to be like, well, of course I should keep going because I would do it anyway. I I enjoy the process, so that's what my that's what my email is about. And if you're not on the mailing list yet, by the way, guys, just head to growyourbrand.com.au and you can sign up and you can get those little emails from me once a week where I talk about stuff and share all of the content. If you're a regular listener of the show and you're enjoying having all of these episodes every week it's like 12 episodes a month, please consider heading over to Kofi. It's ko-fi.com slash Lauren Cress and buying me a cup of coffee. You can do it as a once a month thing. You can do it as a once off thing. There's no like, you know, minimum commitment. You can literally just be like, if I met Lauren, I would buy her a cup of coffee because this is really useful. That's how you can do it. 
Uh, it means so much to me. You'll get a shout out on the show and uh, anything you can do to support the show would be fantastic. If you can't afford it, because I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur, if you can't afford it at the moment, that's fine. Uh, it's not like an obligatory thing, uh, but it really does also help to tell me that people are valuing the show as well. If you want to tune into my live stream this Friday, it's at 11 a.m. AEDT. If you head over to youtube.com slash C slash Lauren Cress, uh, you'll be able to tune into the live stream there. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Just let me know because I get, you know, people spamming me. So just let me know that you're a listener and you want to tune into the live and I'll connect with you. Uh, or you can also go to Facebook, just go to the it's like at Grow Your Brand Podcast is the, you know, slashy thing. <laughs> That's a technical. So the show I'll be doing on Friday, I'm going to be talking about outsourcing and that issue of letting go because it's something that I struggle with myself and it kind of follows on from what Steve and I had spoken about a little bit as well on Monday um, for those who are listening from Spark. So I know there's going to be some Spark Festival people joining on Friday and I thought it was a great sort of topical theme because everyone talks about that whole kind of like, oh, you just need to outsource, you just need to outsource, you just need to outsource. I'm like, yeah, but don't outsource your joy. Don't outsource your joy because like if that's what you're doing, then you're kind of missing out on life. Like you can outsource to the point where it's actually not good. And I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to kind of give a bit of a different perspective and some of the things that I've struggled with as well. Um, So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head over to the live stream. We're just about to get onto the main part of the show, but I just wanted to put a couple little caveats in here just because I know that people don't know me as well that, uh, you know, this is the self-consciousness part of me, right? So one thing is I briefly mentioned the problem with the law of attraction. Now, I know given the amount of people that listening are listening to this, there's probably a few people that believe in the law of attraction who are listening to this podcast. So what I would want to say to you is if you want to understand more about my issues with it, head over to YouTube and go to my channel, so Lauren Cress. I've got a YouTube video on the problems with the law of attraction and it starts with the fact that it's called a law when it's actually a belief. People can have all sorts of beliefs. That, like that's fine, right? Like that's your prerogative, but don't mix science in with it. There's absolutely nothing in science that backs the law of attraction and that's my biggest, biggest, biggest issue. The phenomena And the outcomes that are talked about in the context of the law of attraction as a way of saying this proves the law of attraction exists can actually be explained by things we understand in neuroscience and psychology and economics. So I talk about that as well in that YouTube video. So, um, yeah, before you (laughs) kind of take issue with it, I'm actually not saying the phenomena doesn't necessarily happen. Uh, just the mechanism. So uh, that's it from me on that little thing because I do just gloss over it in the interview. Uh, The other thing that Brian and I do is (laughs) is the first time we've ever done this, I've never done this on the show before, um, is uh, we do some poetry. So uh, I'm I'm pretty into spoken word, although obviously this year haven't gone to any spoken word gigs, um, but I really enjoy performing and I enjoy listening to people and Brian's really into poetry, so we decided to exchange poems. So 
that's towards the end of the episode and a reason to stick around to listen to that. All right, guys, a bit of a long one today, uh, but I think that's kind of good. Sometimes it's nice to have a longer episode. And, you know, if you want to break it over a couple of days and listen to this Wednesday, Thursday, uh, you can do that too. If you want to find out more about Brian, head to findingthefires.com. That's where you can kind of sign up to all the cool stuff that he's doing that we talk about in this episode. Highly, highly recommend checking it out. I've been in some of those sessions and they are amazing. So uh, head over to findingthefires.com. And without further ado, let's get on to the main part of today's episode. Innovation happens in the blink of an eye, and to understand the implications, you need a credible source that helps to make sense of it all. Stay up to date on the most pressing innovation issues shaping the world today by subscribing to Better Innovation, a podcast featuring top management strategists, policymakers, and leading innovation thought leaders from across the globe. Going into its sixth season, Better Innovation, hosted by Jeff Saviano, a global innovation leader with EY, delves into how innovative technologies like blockchain, artificial intelligence, digital currencies, and the promise of Web 3.0 are transforming the global landscape. Featuring elite guests like Jeremy Allaire, CEO of Circle Financial, authors Whitney Johnson and Rita McGrath, former U.S. Cabinet member Andrew Card, and a number of leading MIT scientists. Subscribe today and hear more from these distinguished guests. Subscribe to Better Innovation on your favorite podcast platform. Money is the number one cause of stress and the number two cause of divorce. Make your money go further and work harder with a certified financial planner from Facet Wealth. Financial planning used to focus on retirement, but Facet helps you with today. You get a dedicated financial planner that guides you through every financial decision. Inflation, interest rates, stock market changes, home prices. How do you figure it all out? Well, every advisor at Facet is a certified financial planner and fiduciary. That's just a fancy way to say they have the best training and they're legally bound to do what's in your best interest. This isn't just about investments. It's about taking care of your money so you can start living a better life today. Facet has a simple flat fee, no hidden charges, and with nothing to sell, there are no commissions. Visit tryfacetwealth.com for two months free off your first year of financial planning. That's T-R-Y-F-A-C-E-T wealth.com. Facet Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. G'day, everyone. Lauren Kress, the business scientist here. Super, super excited about this live stream. It's a bit different. I've got Brian Fretwell joining me from over in the States, and we're going to talk neuroscience and intuition, which sounds like something that might not go together. (laughs) So, Brian... To start with, tell us a little bit about you and what you do, because I just think it's so exciting, absolutely fascinating, and I think everyone here will think the same. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Always, what do I do? I my I try to tell my friends, and most of them don't know. Just you go off and talk about the brain and stuff. Um, <laughs> the, the the last the last ten years, uh, the majority of my life has been spent in large culture change projects specific to. Uh, the neuroscience of change. So I'm a facilitator and I teach uh, every, everything from, I mean, um, miners to um, construction size, to oil and gas, to tech. Um, when they're trying to do culture change, whether it's leadership culture or safety culture, and I've been a part of a couple larger organizations like Le- Neuroleadership Institute um, 
and Centis, bo both uh, founded by Australians, by the way. Um, y'all are y'all y'all are uh, a few steps ahead in the uh, neuroscience game, but uh, or or have been anyway. But um, anyway. My job is to teach people how their brains work so that in cultures and teams, we can actually kind of improve performance. If we understand thinking, we understand how thinking is then driving behavior and then how behavior then drives outcomes. And, and what I noticed and kind of the link to what I do now. So about five months ago, just like everybody else, when COVID shut down, I was I was a. I was a guy that was on the road 40 plus weeks a year traveling and facilitating and and um, and when that shut down, I had this, well, am I going to just pause and wait and go online or do I want to make a shift? And so about five months ago, I, or really about two months ago, I kind of took the th first three months off. I built a deck and did other home projects. <laughs> yeah, long, long enough to realize I'm not very good at it and I should probably get back to something that can yeah i it's my my neighbors are actually like construction you know have some construction skills and they just come over mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah you, maybe you should be back writing books yeah but, uh, but we anyway he uh um oh in that time and especially in the last two months i really got to thinking like and i've talked about this for a long time like the most common thing i see uh, running workshops. And I've, I've been in front of more than 30,000 people over the last 10 years speaking and facilitating generally like 20 people at a time. And the most common thing I see out there is somebody coming up to me and saying, I'm just a number here. Uh, nobody knows. And, and w what it is, is like, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but I really explain it like their fire is burned out. And every one of us has like this intern, I call it kind of the internal fire that is, that is as non-technical as I like to be, but it, but it's really that that spark that people have. It's their connection to something bigger. It's a, there's a lot of things that that drive the spark, but for a lot of people, that spark is one out, and I call them the walking dead. Like they're dead inside; their body just hasn't caught up yet, right? And uh, and and especially in culture change projects, but in in life projects, if that fire is gone, the change isn't happening. And so in, over the last two months, I've, I've shifted my business into coaching. I use the term practical intuition coach because I believe intuition is that connection to that spark or at least um, the part that you're actually letting the fire do some of the, if you will, decision making, uh, kind of lead the way as opposed to getting tamped down and, and acting like either I'll get to it someday or it's not important. Uh, and so now I do coaching and um, helping people kind of find that fire. But I think the bigger thing I'm doing is um, helping people create, um, if you will, small groups that they help each other develop that fire. So I found over the last two months, like the inquiry based process that's that I discuss in the TED talk that I've done as a facilitator for years, uh, that that kind of questions based delivery is a skill set not a lot of people have, nor do they know how to like apply it to really get somebody else to feel alive, engaged, to turn them around when they're down, those sorts of things. And so, um, so I'm teaching that to people and encouraging them to, whether it's with their family, their friends, a, a team or a group, 
uh, have what uh, I'm calling fire sessions, where they just sit down and talk about here's what's going well, and the other person asks questions to understand what are the strengths behind it, what are the values behind it, what are the uh, intrinsic uh, kind of motivators, and and really becoming experts of each other so that we can kind of uh, purposefully actually you know uh, pull the fire out of each other. Yeah. So that was big. That that's off my my elevator pitch is like four minutes long there. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> Uh, elevator pitches are overrated anyway. Right. <laughs> it just depends on what elevator you're in, right? I mean, 64 floors. We got a lot of time to talk. Yeah. We could have got stuck. You know, we mm-hmm. could have been calling the fire department. Like, who knows? Like, mm-hmm. uh- <laughs> yeah, stuck in an elevator. That might be my nightmare. That, that just doesn't, yeah, it would be like scratching my way out. Anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> I think what's one of the things that struck me about as you were talking through this and as you were talking about what you're doing, I love one, I love it. I think that like it's so it's so sad and tragic that there's all these talented people in the world that, you know, I mean, and and everyone's human, we're all valuable, that mm-hmm. aren't able to really like contribute anything because of the way their job is structured, because of the way their career is structured, or because of the way that they think that they have to behave in order to be like successful in the eyes of others. What are some of the things that you've seen? I know there's stats around this as well in terms of like how prominent is this problem? How, how well, prominent it's, is this? It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's endemic. Like it's, um, I've never been a place and not seen it. Uh, and it's the degree to which you're seeing it. And this isn't, we're not just talking about like, you know, I think we think about the person that's really struggling with their job or they're quiet or they're like the, the known stuff. It's, these are leaders and these are high level leaders that like some of the common things I hear is I look good on paper, but I hate what I do. Right. I, I mean, I've talked to attorneys that like very professional, like very uh, successful attorneys. So I, I do. I, and, and we've it's the, I believe there's some of a, a part of the like a industrial post-industrial shift. Right. Like I, like many of us were brought up like I need to do this and this and this and this like, they, you know, because we naturally crave certainty. But we don't live in environments where certainty is available anymore. Very few places you can kind of predict the outcome. And so we tend to then go try to get certainty when the only thing really available actually is clarity. And it's a difference. I use a metaphor of like we used to be looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. But now in this environment, nobody knows what the end of the tunnel looks like. So now it's about lighting the fire in us so we can illuminate our own path. Those are two different kind of uh, ways of directing. Those are two different kind of ways of of making decisions. Uh, one's kind of internal outwards and one's outside inwards. Like how do I mold myself to be that out there? Because that out there will give me the guarantee versus how do I use this and understand what I have in such a way that whatever happens out there, I know I'm going to be okay. I want to ask you a little bit about the neuroscience behind this, right? Because it's like, this is what I think what you're doing separates you so much from what I see a lot of people doing when they talk about intuition or they talk. Mm -hmm. And I use this because I think that that's how we... I like it. Yeah. That might be like on my website. Intuition. Yeah. Intuition. Right. Yeah. It's sort of like it can it can seem wishy-washy. And like from mm-hmm. 
you know, for, for me, like I'm actually, I think when we met, I was telling you, I'm actually quite an intuitive thinker, mm-hmm. but uh, like, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff out there that I see is like intuition, therefore law of attraction, therefore woo woo stuff that you know doesn't mm-hmm. actually really pseudoscience. Right? right. And there's this kind of, there's this leap between like the natural and the supernatural when we talk about this metaphysical stuff that goes on in our brains that mm-hmm. now we actually kind of understand a little bit about. So I'm yeah. really curious sort of asking you about this, like the decision-making process, how does it relate to what you're talking about with intuition mm-hmm. and, and how does that look from a, from a scientific perspective? Yeah. I, I think about like the basic scientific or kind of CB cognitive behavioral theory, like the basic think, feel, do model like psychology 101. I have a thought that shoots down an axiom, kicks out some chemicals that connects the receptors and I have feelings, right? And I I have to back up because some people like their relationship with that word feelings is like, oh, I had two last night and I drank them away, right? But we're we're just, we're so anti-emotion in decision. Uh And we've been just just drilled into like, let's make a non-emotional decision, which is, probably the term that switched me into saying uh, practical intuition, a non-emotional decision does not exist. Like that, that, that's a impractical. If you talk, we were talking about Kahneman earlier, elephant and rider, the emotion is first. It's actually the first five. And then logic kind of comes in to uh, just justify where the heck the elephant has already been headed. And so I always tell me like calm is a dis- calm is an emotion. I feel calm. Right. And so the, the science is, is, is really simple. Like if we're we are and I think more and more what we see and there's actually a couple of really good books out there that I'm losing the name of right now. But there's a guy that wrote a book about right brain versus left brain, that it's not emotional brain and uh, and logical brain. It's actually macro and micro. What that means is, right, the left brain is micro, and that's we think it's logical, and it's actually, no, they can see right here, but big picture stuff is tough for them. Uh, and the right brain is big picture, but small stuff is tough for them. I, I reside a little bit in the middle, uh, depending on what I'm hyper-focusing on versus where I'm dreaming about, right? Um, but he talks about, like, we have an over or preponderance of left brain thinking, that logical, emotionless um, kind of thinking, and it is to our detriment. And when you get into the science, Gladwell really talks about it in Blink. I think that's probably the more, uh, the most digestible sort of version, but there are tons and tons of studies about decision-making, just in decision-making, about how your emotional brain makes the right decision well before your logical brain even comes on board. Right. I mean, the, the, the opening kind of card experiment when they're blue cards and red cards, the red cards are the bad cards, the blue cards are the good cards. You figure that out logically, but logically it takes 80 turns. But they hook these people up and they monitor their 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 sweat glands and their, um, you know, all of these uh, kind of autonomic responses or um, limbic sort of reactions. And they find that most people uh, understand which pile is wrong. 40 cards into it versus 80. And, and, and the, the studies on that are, I mean, numerous and plenty, but we still have this idea of like, I got to take motion out of decision. And I always tell people like, no, no, you have to figure out which motion is right for the decision. 
and we tend, we tended to, it's, there's a dichotomy too, because we tended to in business or on an emotional decision, but then on a football field, we're like, Oh, let's get all fired up. And it's like, it's okay over there, but it's not okay over here. Well, if you are driving a team into a direction, you need some emotion. If you're going to make a change of any kind, like the idea of neuroplasticity, the reason it's so hard as adults is because it requires high levels of emotion. It requires a lot of chemical processes, a lot of dopamine, some serotonin, whatever, it's of cortisol, right, to be able to create that, that kind of plastic um, kind of brain change, uh, much more than it does a kid. But, but then we, we generally teach whatever it is, you're gonna change yourself in these very emotionless, you know, kind of have it like, like in a classroom and think, oh, you're going to change your behavior here because I told you red and white is, is uh, you know, equals blue. And, and it's so illogical because how many, how many people do you know that quit smoking because somebody came up, tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, you know, logically smoking is bad for you. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. No, but we approach it that way. And we think we're going to change our lives that way without emotion. And to the only way that fire is going to work is if you listen to it and, and to do that, like now some emotions are going to be like, now we got fear involved. Now we got anger involved. Now we've got uh, insecure, all of this, all of this stuff. And I, and I say, quit avoiding it and start using it for, for what it's there for, because it, because the science says you're a better decision maker once you're able to rein it in. I always use that caveat. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest people run out and, you know, like, I feel really good this morning, so I'm going to sell the house. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. And I, I want to um, oh, just quickly, Brian, I want to give a shout out to Naomi. Sorry, Naomi, I know you you put your comment there a few minutes ago now. Naomi said, Naomi Lambert said, as the world becomes more complex, making decisions becomes harder. Is it best to depend on careful analysis or to trust your gut? And I think this is kind of what you've been answering mm -hmm. anyway. Um, do you yeah. think it, that both play a role or do you think it really is the, the gut over the, um, the careful analysis? So I, yeah, always the, it depends answer, right? But yeah, yeah. your gut, if you've practiced it and if you practiced it for a while. And, and so this is where, like, when I talk about really getting into practical intuition, this is about measuring it over time. So the, there's a difference between, I talk a lot about, there's a difference between bias and intuition. We're all, every one of our decisions is biased. It's trying to avoid pain or, or, um, or avoid excess energy spend, right? Like reduce, reduce energy, run away from bears and sleep. That's what your brain is trying to do. So it makes biased behaviors to help you go to sleep or to help you avoid pain. And that can feel like intuition. But intuition isn't the avoidance. Intuition is saying, here's this experience I had in the past. Here's this experience I'm having now. And when I connect them, there's a spark. That's the energy. And that's your brain saying, let's do this again. And the, oftentimes the best thing to differentiate is, holy cow, that's now scary. And, and intuition is often walking into what's scary. And that's where growth is. That's where development is. So the answer to that, I think, from if I was looking at it, is if you're able to develop the ability to trust your gut, uh, get some actual hard science behind that. And by, by hard science, I mean, just tracking it, like journaling, like um, being able to say, oh, I made this decision in this feeling. Here's what was this feeling was all about. And then how, do, how does that re uh, 
how does that relate or how that look like the other feeling? But I can tell you that um, there's, like I said, that uh, a fair amount of research that that talks about option number two. Number one is going to be faster. Uh, number two, again, if you're paying attention, you're following it. Um, is is uh, is what you've likely already decided in the careful analysis stage. I, I, you, when I was in my twenties, uh, I taught a juvenile correction, got my MBA, was doing cognitive uh, cognitive science in um, financial planning, and so it was just what's important about money. So here's your money value. Sorry, here's your money value. Here's your behavior. Do they align? Pretty simple, um, but really big for some people. Like holy cow, that's my behavior doesn't match my value. Um, but oftentimes people would come and say, hey, should I buy a house? And I just laugh. You've already made the decision. You made the decision when you bought a Coke today, right? And we focus on these big decisions that, that are already made because you've thought about them before, because you've had a connection. And oftentimes that what we call the careful analysis. And, and Naomi, you, you, you may have really good careful analysis skills and uh, but oftentimes, especially in the big decisions, that careful analysis piece has already been done in your brain. And you're just looking for reinforcement. You're just looking for validation. And the problem with that is that when I seek that outside myself, I indirectly reduce the trust I have in myself. You know, it just made me think of as well, like uh, I talked to my husband a bit about decision making in in the medical field, right? Because he's an mm-hmm. emergency doctor. And in emergency, you have to make quick decisions, but also this is a life and death thing. So you don't want to, you know, just make a biased decision on a whim. And then, you right. know, as a consequence, someone gets sicker or, you know, like it's, it's pretty full on, right? You're making <laughs> like really big decisions. So, yeah. and he was telling me about like, so when he was like a medical student and when he was like an intern, uh, you know, so in his early stage of his career, um, you know, seeing a seeing a patient, it was very much about the test results, right? So I don't mm. I don't know what's going to happen. Like I have to go through this diagnostic tree, yeah. and then we do this, this, and this. And he's now gotten to a point, and I know he had observed this with consultants before. So the the you know sort of specialist emergency doctors essentially in in um in his department was that what they did is they'd look at a patient, they go get them to this now. Like they would see that person, they would see the color of their face, they would see, you know, just they wouldn't be able to even probably tell you, but they knew like that patient's in trouble. Mm -hmm. And he's like, now he's like, oh, I understand why that happens. Like, and and his his sort of big question now is because there's a lot more, uh, you know, coming into discussion around bioethics and should artificial intelligence start to make decisions for for Mm -hmm. doctors. And he's like, but the thing is, is that like split second decision where I'm like, that patient is sick. Like, I don't know how I could teach a, like, how can you teach a computer to intuitively know that? So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Like, you know, do, because this can go wrong, right, as well. Mm -hmm. Like, our intuition can be wrong. I guess I didn't really have a question for you there, but, like, (laughs) what's your thoughts on things like AI and things like decision-making tools? So I think in in the example you shared with your husband, you're talking about a linear decision-making Right process and in a lin- in a linear excuse me in a linear process that analysis is great and what happens like and you described it great and this is why I say like trusting your gut is requires practice is because he went through that analysis hundred times a thousand times and what's happening is he's writing that subconscious script 
So that like, like, yes, there's a logical part of that, but there's a much bigger emotional part of that. Like it goes through the channel and then it connects to that logical piece, if you will. I'm really broadly, there's some neuroscientists back there. Like anyway, um, but, but that script is being written emotionally. And so he's able to look at that and ping, ping, ping. And, it, and, and her brain captures that through the limbic system. And, and then through, again, the emotional part of the brain first for a reason. Because it says, oh, we've seen a cave. We've seen a bear come out of the cave. The last time we saw the bear come out of the cave, we lost a foot. So let's go, right? And let's not sit around and think about, I wonder if it's a brown bear or a black bear. Let's, let's not look around and say, I wonder what the flowers look like. Like, it's got that process for a reason. Yeah. But the difference between, and this is where in, especially in a linear situation like that, like the, the careful thing to get away from is bias. Because bias is, I'm going to make this decision because, oh, man, I've got so many other clients to see. It's just this. And I get a release from making the decision versus with intuition, there's still some trepidation. I know this and I have to move. I have to move into the discomfort to make the decision. Yeah. And, and intuition should be checked against, um, against logical processes. Like, like, I think really good if you're really comfortable with your intuition, you should invite, uh, again, more more kind of logical or what I call mechanical brain processes, because it's not about one or the other. It's about when they're both working together, the mechanical brain and the emotional brain. And, and to your to your point on on AI, oh, I think it'll be really good. I think it'll be really fast. And I think there are some things that AI is going to be able to do that's going to allow us to actually use these other parts of our brain, like the scary part of intuition or of AI is it's going, it, it will be better at times in our mechanical brain. But I think to your point, like it's like we are now moving into an environment where I think we need to get more in touch again with that emotional brain and that more intuitive side, because that is as individuals, what will separate you from, you know, the AI coming in. Um, mm. We talk about that, um, the guy that wrote um, uh, Sapiens, if you've read uh -huh. that book. Yeah, he wrote he, know, Rari, yeah. His, his, uh, his third book, uh, 21, 21 Ideas for the 21st Century. He talks about like, if you're struggling, your phone will pick it up and have a playlist. You know, I just broke up with my boyfriend. So now it's got a playlist. It's got people for you to call. Like, it will help you kind of get into that situation because of what it can read in and it will absolutely be reading biometric data right um and, and this is probably 40 years off or five years off i don't know but but um but i but i think that um i think they'll they, they can be quite fast but i also think that there always will be a place for the human because of that intuitive piece yeah yeah i i mean well, actually, sorry. I, like I was like, I could, I could go off on a lot of tangents and I just realized I, I, like we've been talking for 25 minutes and we have discussed doing a bit of spoken word. Oh, yeah, I have it. Oh, we could, we could fly. This is your summer. That means Six Flags in the taste of an ice cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. 
Visit SixFlags.com slash Coke to save up to $20 on passes, plus daily tickets starting at $34.99. There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire, the S-curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark. <laughs> Stuff right here. <laughs> All right, I'm excited. So I feel like we should place this like for I don't know if anybody's watching or not, but if anybody's watching in the future, like where this came from, why why we're we're talking about that. Do you we want to take yes. a, a stab at that? Well, I think I mean really it was inspired by you. So Brian and I had a chat and then Brian, you were telling me about you know what you've been what you've been kind of playing around with with content, right? Um mm -hmm. so maybe do you want to share a little bit about that and then yeah, I make a lot of bad decisions content-wise, and um, there's a reason. Like, I've, ne I've never, I've never had to really do any marketing until like maybe even the last two months. And, and I'm, what I mean by that is all my business just kind of comes through, through referral, especially speaking and those sorts of things. So, um, so anyway, I had I, I was just sitting around two months ago, and obviously I'm in the professional development uh, arena, but I've had and here they like a bunch of poems that I wrote for. Um, over the last uh, 10 years. And we always call them business poetry. And um, and there was always this kind of joke, like, oh, I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna develop something. But I've been, I had been telling a lot of people, you need to go out and do this crazy thing if for no other reason that you're exercising the crazy part, right? It's not necessary, and crazy is a wrong word. You're exercising this part that feels like it's, uh, you know, like, like it's, it, it's sort of out there and it has no logical end. That was a big thing. Like oftentimes I'm talking to people about like, yes, you're doing this because it's this fire that's not going to go away and it's just going to get worse and you don't know where it's going to go. So just go down the blind road for a while because it allows us to build trust in ourselves when we do that, especially when we release from the it's kind of the outcome mechanism, if you will. So anyway, I had these and I just I decided about a month and a half ago I was going to read them live online, which I did 15 of them and uh, and then kind of explain the the either the psychology or the professional development idea behind them. And then when you and I talked, you had poetry, too. And so and um, had the great idea of reading them live it's because we take bad decisions and we just expand on them. Right. Right. We've got to lean into it. Right. Yeah. So, so I've got, I, I have 15 of these or so online. So I think like you, it's, you're going to have to go first. Like, yeah. All right. Okay. I can do that. I can do that. I've got to read it. Like, so I got to say, um, for people who are like, why is Lauren doing spoken word? I've never seen Lauren do spoken word. So I used to do spoken word heaps. And then, uh, like, I, I don't say poetry cause I'm like, I'm, I'm very much that like, you got to speak it. Uh, <laughs> you got to yeah. you got to say it for it to be a thing, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, which is which is so controversial in the poetry space. If uh, if anyone's in that yeah. that niche, <laughs> and I, and I don't say poetry because it makes me sound like I know what the hell I'm doing. Like no, I just have words, and they kind of look like they're in a poem. Like this, it's more geometrical than it is actual like literary. Anyway. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna claim to be good at it, but I certainly had a lot of fun writing this one and very much inspired by by Brian. So uh, I think I'm just gonna say it. Yeah. Now I'm feeling nervous. I never get nervous. This is good. This is a good yeah. feeling. Yeah. Um, See, that's the area right there. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Okay. I haven't got a name for this poem yet. Okay. We can maybe think of one later. All right. Okay. So as you know, when I'm thinking, there's like a whole universe inside my head that's blinking and twinkling with connections, neuron to neuron that zip through time that enable us to drink and dine and unwind. More complicated than a thousand supercomputers stuck together, tethered to one another like Frankenstein's monster, only digital. Isn't it crazy that this electric goo inside my head is more powerful than a thousand supercomputers stuck together? Sometimes when I'm thinking about thinking, I think of the brain as a teenager, conscious but lacking self-awareness, fussy about its diet and worried about what everyone else thinks. It's so afraid of being different. It's no wonder that even on our best days, we feel that impulse, that drive to respond to change with anger, shame, and pride. Our brain is a lazy pattern recognition machine. It's obsessed with making predictions, even if wrong, to keep us alive. And it's why we have bias, prejudice, and stereotypes. It doesn't make it right, not even okay, but when we understand why our brain is that way, we can stop being so hard on ourselves and say, hey, there's not that much difference between you and I. There's so much more that makes us the same. What makes you, you, and me, me, it all starts with our brain. Wow. <laughs> I was so nervous doing that. Could you tell? I was like, oh, man, I've never done spoken word. On so there was, I know, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that we recorded this because, so this is like, this. so this, sorry, I'm putting my nerd kind of coach hat on. Um, Do it. Do it. Did you notice a shift about three quarters of the way through that as you were reading it? Halfway yeah. to three quarters. What did you notice? So I noticed that I was like more, my emotional state was more heightened. Yeah. And um, oh, thank you, Naomi. Naomi said, this is fab, Lauren. Cheers. Yeah. It was great. Well, you know, yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic. Yeah. But I could also feel, so for me, when I'm nervous, and one thing I used to struggle with when I, I did um, like vocal performances was like, it's like my adrenaline increases. And then yeah. as a result, my, my voice is like less clear. So like now when I'm talking, I'm like, cool. Right? Do you, so I'm, so I'm curious, I want to, I want to, is it okay if I tool around okay. a little bit? Yeah. So, yeah, because it didn't sound like nervousness and it might've been, but uh -huh. you, the nervousness was happening when you started, but there was something about what you were, it felt to me anyway, like there was something about what you were saying that you connected to something else in there. Uh-huh, yes. What do you think that was? So I think it's like in the second part of the poem, right? So the first part, sorry, I'm gonna be analytical because this is how I express yeah, no, myself. <laughs> so yeah. the first part of the poem, it's like setting the scene. So yeah. it's like, this is what's going on with our brain. But in the second part, it's the human connection, right? It's like, you and I are much more, in, we have much more in common than we have different. And I think what it is, is that, at the moment, especially with everything that's going on, we're seeing this segregation. We're seeing like that 
you know, black versus white, male versus female, like, you know, smart versus dumb, Trump versus yeah. <laughs> Biden. We're seeing yeah. this this separation of humanity. And I think that I can really understand why that happens from a scientific perspective. I know you're the same, Brian. Like there's a our brains are wired to do that. But also when we understand that we we can realize that actually there's a lot more that brings us together and there's an emotional component to that you know like yeah. there's an emotional uh, part of like being like oh geez like all this this conflict that isn't necessary like we're all, we've all got this stuff inside our heads that works the same right like or similar anyway so so a couple of things first when i asked you about it you said nervous so let's take nervous off of there okay and I, I want you to come up with another word, but but I want I'm going to share my experience in how I heard you, and then I'm going to see if you can come up with a, a word, a better emotional word, better a different one, a more a more specific one to a more what, real one, a more like yeah, sharing yeah. my feelings on. Okay, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, this is where we go. Like, oh, it's feelings. I'm going to do how many? Yeah, I had two of them yesterday. No, um. But what I experienced, so we've only known each other a couple of weeks. We talked one other time, we've messaged a few times before, and you have this term business scientist that you use in your career. When you hit that second half, I understood why. Ah, okay. Yeah. Now, now, what is that? Like what I just reflected, what does that mean to you? And then and then see if you can find what that what the real word is behind what you just felt when you were reading that second half. Okay. So what when you said that, I like I immediately felt it as you said that. I was like, oh yeah, someone gets me. Like I, I, that's how I felt. I felt like acknowledged, yeah. which is interesting. Um, I th I'm gonna yeah, I keep going into. I think I used to do psych like I had psychotherapy <laughs> sessions, and I'd always get picked on about that. Like. Okay, you're talking about thinking, not about feeling. So yeah. I'm married to so, a psychotherapist, so I get it. Yes. <laughs> not good enough. Go deeper. Go deeper, right? Yeah. Um, so what I what I feel is like that for me, what science is is not, and I think this was even in the first exchange that we had on message, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, science to me is intuition, it is curiosity, it is this absolute desire to know more about the world and more about the people in the world and, and how everything works. But the other step to that is like, if we understand how it works, we can uh, progress, right? We can move yeah. forward. And I think for me, so scientist for me is a, it comes from a place of curiosity, not from a place of analysis. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people think it's analysis only, if that makes sense. So that feeling you had. Uh-huh. Was. It's like a, it's like a. Don't, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. <laughs> like a connection feeling, like a, like a. So connection isn't a feeling. Yeah, well, it feels like a feeling to me, Brian. <laughs> the feeling when I'm connect, when I really connect deeply, and and when you turned into that space, that that was real. That was like you can't watch it and not feel it. I felt. Um, you know, I was, oh, wow, this, there's a lot here. Mm -hmm. And you felt connection in there. And when you get connected with someone, what is that feeling? Uh, I, I can explain, explain it as a physiological feeling. It's like, mm. um, 
it's like being lifted up a little bit. It's kind yeah. of like uh, instead of being weighed down, instead of being like uh, burdened, it's like the opposite of that. So it's like an uplifting uh, chest up kind of feeling. If that makes does that make sense yeah. to you? Do you know what yeah, I mean? that says inspired. That says engaged. Um, and I I'll, I do really bad coaching and tell you like um, when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's love. Yeah. Because yeah. that that's not just love of what I do, but but it's that and I love that we use the word connection. It's that this is where I'm with everybody else. Yeah. This is where this is where I get to change things and also understand things. Like this is where the difference between you and me becomes we, right? Like yeah. and that like that piece, like when I when you step into that it's it's big and it's almost mm. scary right mm. but i would argue that like you know let that horse run a bit so that mm. you to put some reins on it for sure but but like and oftentimes i i really um you know encourage clients like just go into it the, by yourself maybe if you have to do that first and then when a loved one and just like experience that feeling in the way you just kind of did but without any reins and yeah. just like, cause I would have made, cause what I saw in there is like, if you dove into that, there would be tears involved. There would be that uplifting involved. And, and, and like, if you can feel that and then start connecting it to what you do, which I argue you already do, but the more consciously you can do that, then you're making your decisions. Like what, what if that feeling was a part of every business decision you made? Right. What would that do to the doubt? What would that do to the second guessing? What would that do to the conviction and the conversation you're having with the person across from you? Mm. And, I, and, and again, on, on my experience watching you, it's just like, wow, I want to whatever is happening here. I want to be I, I just I want to be here. Yeah, oh, I and, love that. Thank you. I, like, that's like you jump into that and then sell me something like, yes, I need four of them. I don't, you know. <laughs> And that's, and I think that's what like, that's what like Cynic is talking about when he was like, you know, when we talk about people don't buy what you, you know, you have, they're, they're looking at the feeling you have and saying, I want some of that. That's why we buy BMWs because I mean, they, they look just like Toyotas, but the person walking out looks really successful and I want to feel successful. Yeah. And so we're trying to connect to that feeling, even though we logically don't say it. And so when you were doing that, I was like, I'm, I need that. I, I, I want some of that. Like, so can you, can you bottle that up? Can you maybe put it in a course? What, however you need to sell it to me? Like, yeah. So, um, so, so, and I was, I think it was just a really good example of like, we were talking about the importance of intuition. Mm -hmm. It's about being able to connect to people on that intuitive level, on that, on that, on that primal level. And, and and when I say primal, I'm I'm talking about things like love. I'm talking about things like empathy. I'm talking about seeing each other as human beings, uh, because we're pretty short on that right now. And so yeah. when we see it, when we see something, when we step into it, it becomes too big for us. And when we see it in somebody else, we almost pull away initially. But then when we really connect to it, we're in love. Right. We're, we're, we're just there. And, uh, and, and that's the stuff that changes people, I think. Mm. 
So I think I'm trying to talk myself out of saying mine, but I, I will. I'm you got to do it, Brian. I'm excited. Okay, so your, your, yours a rhyme. Mine generally don't rhyme, so there's that. Um, but you're, you're, I can tell like you've done a lot of spoken word because I just used to go to poetry slams and sit, sit in the back and just like, don't look at me because I can't do what you all do. Um, so... So I think that's like, if anybody's watching, just lower your expectations is all I'm saying. Uh, no, no, you'll be great. You're great. Yeah. So this one's called Make Believe, right? Um, it's all make believe, every bit of it. The rules, the strategies, the plans, and the lifestyle. They're all pieces of imagination put into books to give them credibility. But we buy into it. We believe we need this to do this or to be that. Earn this or have this, aren't this or are that. Through these acts, we make it real. We follow the rules and the game becomes reality. I buy the car and a lifestyle is created. I see the mirror and an insecurity is confirmed. But in these acts, we miss our power. Through these choices, we deny our strength. While it may be someone else's imagination, it is our belief that makes it real. The vision may not be for me, but the real, but the realization is dependent upon us. If only we could believe our own, if only it could be our dreams. Imagine the power we could have if we would only choose to make believe. Love it. Yeah. Love thanks. It. Yeah. So talk talk us through a little bit about what because, you know, I can't do what you do. I can't be like the part where you said this, but tell me about the inspiration behind behind this poem. Uh, so I think whether it's a book or poetry, whenever I'm writing, it's half catharsis. And then the other half is like, somebody else needs to read this, so clean that shit up, right? But, um, <laughs> but the... Um, so, like, for this one specifically, the idea of make-believe, uh, for me, is really powerful because it's, and I, a lot of my poetry is really about, like, what story is leading the way. And, and oftentimes you see people in situations that they're just a part of somebody else's stronger story, that, that their story hasn't gotten out, or, or they've, they've actually made their story what has been fed them. And stories, and, and this goes actually back to the uh, that Sapiens book, right? Like what uh, what separates us as Homo sapiens is our ability to have fiction. Money is fiction, right? Like, and you've run down the list uh, of things that we agree on as a group. Well, we agree on our own story, and we buy the story of here's what here's the political story, here's the economic story, here's whichever one. But but I think we have the ability to create our own story inside horrible stories right and and the more we understand it's just imagination and make believe then we understand that that we're not we're just not we're not just in the dream we're the dreamer and that we have the power to change that story uh but we have to kind of pull back from believing in somebody else's story believing in the realness of the other story more than we believe the realness of our own story and of our ability uh, to narrate that story. Uh, 
You know, when you said that thing about like inside a horrible story, I got goosebumps because I, and it made me, it was the same thing that stood out to me when I watched your TED talk. Um, so for people who who haven't seen it, like I mentioned this in the post before, Brian has a TEDx talk that he did that's had over 2.3 million views on YouTube. Yeah, um, about 2.2999 more than it should. Anyway, no. <laughs> it's it's amazing. and But actually, like as as you were saying that I'm like, it's, it kind of makes me think of Nathan. Like it kind of mm-hmm. makes me think of, of Nathan, who is, is the the person that you talk about in the Ted talk for, for people who, who don't know and are watching this. Right. So um, this kind of like, if someone has been fed this story their whole lives about this is the possibilities and this is, you know, that, that kind of conditioning yep. from a neuroscientific perspective, this is that wiring, right? Like this mm-hmm. is that their intuition is telling them, what you know like uh, can you tell us to, i know we, we, we kind of gone a little bit over time but just to kind of wrap this all nice and neat back into to the neuroscience of intuition i mm-hmm. uh, can our intuition be wrong based on those narratives based on those stories that we, we've been sort of talking yeah absolutely about? absolutely like uh it, it, we we run into these places and, and again that's where we start to get on bias um that, that kind of bias intuition line but but i um we're looking to recreate right so the brain is looking to recreate an experience and so i can have a really powerfully positive experience and a really negative that that leads to a really negative outcome for myself or for other people and then i'm addicted to that Right. So I'm searching for that. I'm looking for that. It's one of the uh, I think I mentioned earlier when I'm doing these calls uh, that I'm, that's actually going to be a really big part of the my business going forward is to teach people how to rewire their infor- uh, intuition or rather we're calling them, um, you know, fire sessions. It's really how do we pull the fire out of somebody else so that we can look at it and actually get expert about it? Right. This is the thing that engages me. This is the thing that I like. This is the thing that I can do well, because that's the pattern. That's the story that for most of us is implied, not explicit. And what I mean by that is like, uh, it's just this is just who I am. This is the way I've always been. This is the way uh, this I'm just born this way. I'm a those are all stories and they're implied stories. They're not explicit stories. And. If we bring that story out, if we start talking about our fire, we start talking about the things we do well, we start talking about the things we're in love with and actually allow that feeling to come out. Now we have an explicit way to then operate on that intuition because it's not being fed by this other story. And 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 I think the, the kind of capstone of like where we really see that story taking place is we're so socially driven that the thing I'm trying to reproduce, what my intuition is leading me towards is acceptance. Mm. And so I'm making this choice to be accepted in the group that doesn't care about me, that could, you know, that doesn't have my best interests, that, that who, who just have a bigger story. And, I, and I'm constantly driving, like I'm natural, I'm following home. My, it's instinctual to go and try to be accepted. And then again, because that's this implied story, it's leading to horrible outcomes. Mm-hmm. But when I sit back and I say, what emotions am I trying to have and where can I get them? Then I can look at the explicit data of, oh, this person is just not, it's just not a person I should, as much as I want their acceptance or love their whatever, like that I have to find it 
somewhere else. And then now I'm rewiring that bit to, to teach my brain that, um, you know, because if you have that situation and you go find love someone up somewhere else, that's more real, that's going to be a much more powerful charge. And now you're training your brain what to look for. If, if any of that makes sense. Well, and Naomi just asked an awesome, like kind of question that is, is a great one to wrap on up on actually. Thanks, Naomi. So she said, do you have one simple action we can take right now to change our lives? Yeah. So it's one, it's one I'm on fire for. It's, it's, um, it requires somebody else. I, I really believe that. Um, and it's, and it's especially during, you know, the next six months we have this pandemic, uh, and I, I call them fire sessions. I don't need to get all the data, but spend five minutes a day. If you can't, not a day, a week, like a 10 minute block. Now I, I have four friends. We spend an hour a week. We have a phone call where the only thing we can talk about is what's going well. And our job with each other is then to ask questions like what went well this week? What did you do? But we're not looking like, oh, I got a, a pizza on Tuesday. It's I did this. I pushed through this. Sometimes it's as simple as like, I got out of bed today because I didn't want to get out of bed. I think back in March when the pandemic first started. But what you're doing is you're using each other, like asking. So your job is to ask that person, what you know, what are you proud of this week? What are you doing well? What is working? What is like all of these things where there's potential fire in there and bring it to the surface. And then they do the same for you. And um, what you're doing is two things. Like you're getting better data because now it's conscious and because there's somebody else in there, there's more of an emotional charge. So that's going to lead to change at a much higher rate because now you have emotional charge and you have social connection, much more likely to then uh, have the kind of fundamental underpinnings for neuroplasticity to happen. Um, but then you're also making connection. And this is probably like, uh, there's actually a book out there called Together right now that he talks, he's a 19th Surgeon General for the United States. And he says, lack of connection is the biggest uh, health epidemic that we have bar none. Uh, yeah. he, the, 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 the metaphor he uses, he said, it's, it's better to be a pack-a-day smoker with a friend than a non-smoker without one. Yeah, and there's that evidence group. that totally supports that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you do two for one. Uh, like the best way, because intuition uh, really does well when we can have objective analysis so get somebody else in there. You're not giving advice. So the rules, you can't give advice in that time. You can't, uh, you, you can't give feedback. You're not criticizing. You're not setting goals. None of that. You're just, whether it's 10 minutes or an hour, one person could be four people. You're just asking each other questions about your effort, your input, your passion, your value, like what, like in curious questions, like, why does that matter to you? Just like when you read the poem and like, what was that? Like, and, and cause I didn't know. But I, I knew there was something in that I saw that. And, and so me asking you the question helps you see it in a different way. But also me asking me just asking the question helps me understand you in a different way and creates, uh, you know, a, a, a strong the, these connections that are that are vital to our um, not just neurobiology, but overall biology. Right. I love that. I think that's it's such such a positive thing to do, especially right now, like on at any time. At any time, it's awesome, but especially yeah. right now. Um, yeah, Brian, we're gonna have Friday at noon Mountain Time on Zoom. You can join me every single week. And, and well, that's what I was gonna ask. Yeah. Well, and I talked to Megan. You're you connected me with. I, 
maybe your name wasn't Megan. Anyway, you had connected me when I talked to her on Tuesday. Anyway, she was like, can we do this in Australia? And I was like, oh, I'll have to wake up. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so it's, I think we're going to do like Wednesday on a Wednesday night. So that will be your Thursday morning. Um, uh -huh. yeah, we're going to do it. And, and what I do on that call is teach people how to ask the questions. Uh, I know who you spoke to, by the way. Sorry to, to interrupt you. I just I just realized it clicked. Melissa Peppers, who I interviewed last week. I got yeah. the M right. Sorry, Melissa. Yeah, I think I said Megan there. Anyway, um, uh, yeah. But I but it's it's for me. It's actually my biggest focus for the next six months is Love is it. to really encourage people to to do things like that and then help them help them like just provide. Uh, training material, study material, and these Zoom workshops where they can practice. Uh, because I think we need to be better at understanding how to give other people what they need if we're going to get what we need. Yeah, yeah. I totally. Yeah. So if people want to find out more, is the best thing for them to do to come over to LinkedIn, your LinkedIn profiles, shoot you a message and say hello? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm most active on LinkedIn um, because now I sit at my house all day and just stare at social media. No, I'm not. Build uh, your deck. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not really. Yeah, we met, right? Like, yeah. Uh, but but it is the platform seems to really work right now, uh, and I'm I'm in the midst of like redoing my whole website and everything. So LinkedIn is generally um, yeah the best thing, and and I'm pretty uh, accessible. So feel free to to message me, um, try not to call. I have two like really, I have two prank callers right now that oh, I'm so interested in. I was <laughs> I just, one really doesn't like me and, I, and I'm so interested in finding out why, but he won't stay on the phone long enough. I'll find him, I'll get him, we'll understand what's going on there, yeah. Oh man, yeah, I, I'm so sick of the phone calls because, like, I, I, it's not so much prank callers, just like spam callers. Uh -huh. And I'm like, just you know, if you want to chat with me, just message me first because, like, I just don't answer my. It's too interrupting yeah. for my yeah. flow. I'm just like, I just put my phone to one side. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same road. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Ryan, thank you so much for joining. This has been such a unique live stream. It's been awesome. I'm so glad we got to share our poems and talk about them. I just think that's yeah. so unique and well, so yeah. cool. I think it's just funny, like we were on a pod and you did a poem, like what? Yeah, but Naomi's with us. Naomi, we appreciate you. We, uh, the, the, uh, the questions are awesome. They were um, awesome. Thanks, yeah. Naomi. Fair enough, yeah. We, oh, we like our niche, right? Yeah. <laughs> Brian, enjoy your evening. I think it's evening yeah. time over there. Um, Naomi, thank you for listening. Anyone else who joined in but maybe was silent throughout the stream next time, you know, say hello. Um, and I'll see you guys all soon. Check out Brian's profile as well so you can catch everything that he's doing. And, uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for watching. See you yeah. later. See you later. Thanks, bye. Bye. All right. That's it from me for today hope you enjoyed the episode and let me know what you thought of the length because i'm kind of experimenting with these longer episode lengths at the moment like should it be 30 minutes should it be 45 minutes should it be an hour uh, i'll definitely be having a look at the stats to see how many people listen to the whole thing uh, but if you want to give me some feedback please go ahead and do that on twitter you can tweet with me at lauren 89 
if you've listened to this whole thing, you probably enjoyed it. And I imagine you can think of some people who would benefit from this episode. So please share it with them. That is a huge way that you can support this show and keep it going. And the other thing that really, really helps is rating and reviewing the show. So if you have a second just to like literally click the five-star rating, I mean, if you think it deserves five stars, if you think it deserves four, do that. Or one, I mean, don't really want to encourage that. (laughs) But uh, an honest rating, whatever you want to rate the show. Uh, And if you have more time, obviously you can review it as well. But even just the rating uh, really, really helps on Apple Podcasts to say, hey, like we enjoyed the show, Uh, keep giving it that, that attention. Thanks for listening, guys. And until next time, remember that sharing your talents with the world will make it a better place. Oh, we could, we could fly. This is your summer. That means Six Flags in the taste of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit sixflags.com slash coke to save up to $20 on passes, plus daily tickets starting at $34.99. Bye.